I just want to thank Scott for learning how to play drums this week. And that's, that's a joke, actually. He already knew how. It, you can't learn in a week. Anyway, Scott, Scott was a, you may not know this, Scott was a music education major. Plays drums, guitar, bass, sax. In fact, he even played bassoon. So if you've ever learned how to play bassoon, you know how difficult that is. But thank you, Scott, for your, see, a lot of things you don't know about Scott. So anyway, very gifted, and thank you for, for uh, making the change this Sunday. So. A man was introduced as a guest speaker, and the introduction went like this. I would like to introduce our guest speaker as the man who just recently made $6 million in oil in Texas. The man got up to speak and said, actually, it wasn't in oil, it was in real estate. And, and it wasn't in Texas, it was in Oklahoma. And it wasn't $6 million, it was $60 million. And I didn't make it, I lost it. And it wasn't me, it was my brother. <laughs> Things are not always as they seem. Everything is not always the way it appears to be. And what we discover to be true is far different than what we first thought was true. Sometimes we see on the outside, which by appearances is vastly different than what is actually true on the inside. Back in 1995, Judy and I bought a house in Linwood, Washington that backed up to this beautiful green belt. Behind our house was one particular fir tree that was about 120 feet tall and probably over 100 years old, we were told. It was huge, it looked strong and, and solid on the outside. Because of its proximity to our house and the placement of several other evergreen trees behind, we grew, grew concerned after a couple of November windstorms. You know, you're watching those tree limbs go and you're wondering what's gonna happen here. Well, in that, in that particular location, if you're going to cut down any evergreen trees, you had to have permission from the city, of course. In order to get permission from the city, we had to hire a certified arborist to examine the tree and determine if it was a dangerous tree. And so we did. The, the arborist, the certified arborist, examined actually four different trees and determined that three of those trees were potentially dangerous. One was not. So on the basis of his report, we obtained permission to hire a licensed lumberjack to take them down. It's a pretty amazing process. I don't know if you've ever watched lumberjacks take huge trees down. We sat in our family room and watched them as they limbed the trees, then, then connected ropes and cut them down in 20-foot sections, and before long, three of those four trees were down. And what we discovered about this large, this 120-foot tree, confirmed the arborist's evaluation. On the outside, the tree looked healthy and strong, looked massive. When cut down, he showed us the inside of the tree that was sick, diseased and rotten, and he says, you are very fortunate this tree did not blow down because it would have gone through the house to the very foundation. Wow. Inside and outside. They looked very different, they, and they were very different. Well, we find the same true of people as well. What we see on the outside sometimes is different than what actually is on the inside. Is there a difference between what we do on the outside and who we really are 
on the inside. Today we're going to look at inside, outside. The story of two brothers who look very much alike by their external actions, but inside they were very different. And the difference soon comes to light. Inside, outside, the story of Cain and Abel. And I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 4. I know, I know that Pastor Josh uh, fi finished yeah, last week when he said he did the ending, um, but we're, I, I saw the title of his sermon. It says, um, the ending. And I said, wait a minute. But he was just playing with us. It's, it's the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this is, this is us, the continuation of the beginning. And we'll get to the ending later. Anyway, Genesis 4, 1 through 16. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel, his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is, is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is an account of the very first family on earth. Not a very good start, is it? And it carries some common themes from Genesis 3 as we go into 4. The first one is something called choice. We talked about it a couple Sundays ago. Choice. The, first of all, the choice of man. Two men, two brothers who have a choice. And both of them chose to bring an offering to God in fulfillment about, of what God expected him. Evidently, God had instituted an offering, but there was a difference between Cain and Abel. What was the difference between Cain and Abel? The difference is, was, was on the inside, not the outside. It was the heart. It wasn't the action. How do we know that? We received some insight from Hebrews 11.4, which says, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. 
Now, a lot of people suppose that, that Cain just brought the wrong kind of offering. That's an external action. This had nothing to do with the Mosaic law or the sacrificial system. The altar isn't even mentioned until after the great flood. This had nothing to do with blood sacrifice versus grain offering. Both of them were acceptable to God. In reality, this had to do with the condition of the heart. With the condition of the heart. The internal versus the external. Inside versus the outside. Faith versus unbelief. Two indicators of Cain's real intent and his heart state are number one, God's rejection of his offering and Cain's response to the confrontation by God. These were the demonstrations of what was really inside of Cain. What was going on? I've used this illustration before and I've asked you the question. What happens when you squeeze a lemon? When you squeeze a lemon, what comes out? Okay, whatever, actually, whatever's inside the lemon comes out. Whatever's inside. Whatever's inside. Basically, what happens when we get squeezed? <laughs> whatever's inside comes out, okay? <laughs> Pretty soon it shows, okay? That's what happens to the lemon. That's what happened to Cain. What was inside actually came out. This passage stresses that the person offering the sacrifice was unacceptable to God. Not the offering. It was Cain. There was some issue with his heart. And this means that God was looking at the heart, looking at the attitude of the worshiper, not the specifics of the offering. The difference between Cain and Abel was one of a heart relationship with God. Their offerings revealed their heart relationship with God. They both looked the same on the outside. They brought an offering. They gave it to God. But God, looking at the heart, saw a difference. Cain's offering was pure formalism, while Abel's was pure worship. Formalism versus worship. Cain's was, I have to. Abel's was, I get to. So what? What, what difference does it make? Didn't they both fulfill God's requirements? What's the difference? They both chose, but Abel's choice was, letter A, Abel's choice was by faith, by faith. One of the most important concepts we must learn in order to have an open, unhindered, right relationship with God is that we relate to God by faith, by faith, from the heart. God says, I want your love, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your sacrifice, I want your love from faith. In Isaiah, the prophet said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Not a heart faith, but a formalism. Jesus quoted this in, in, in Matthew and Mark. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. It's... it's our giving to God, how is our giving to God? Sacrificing oneself. Is our offering of verbal worship and praise by faith or is it by obligation? Is it by faith from our heart? Is it all for love for God? Inside of Abel was faith and it produced love for God. Inside Cain was unbelief and it produces obligation to God. Faith. So the first attitude was 
faith. The second attitude is unbelief. The question is, how can we tell the difference? How can we tell the difference? Unbelief, how do we tell the difference? There are, there are some indicators of unbelief. The first one is formalism. Formalism. Going through the motions. Going through the motions. Going through the motions of being a Christian. Many people who are reared in Christian homes go to Christian schools or universities, go through the motions. And they all look the same as everyone else, but it's all on the outside. It's not on the inside. They may be called cultural Christians. We, we assimilate the Christian culture around us. And that's unbelief, not faith. We know the walk, we know the talk, we know the culture. We have the same heroes, we have the same entertainment, read the same books, listen to the same musicians, watch the same TV shows and movies, go to the same internet sites, even played the same Bible trivia games as kids. All the externals are there by, by all the, that we can see. And we call ourselves Christians, meaning little Christs. When inside, our hearts are actually far removed from the passion of loving Jesus Christ as Lord. Formalism, going through the motions. Cain did it. We do it. When I was teaching school, studying voice with a professor, he asked me to sing in a choir that he directed at a Catholic cathedral in the community. And there were many, many born-again Catholics, and there were many that just were into formalism. And I sat up in the balcony, and I, I would sing in the choir, and then I'd watch them go forward for the Mass. And for the majority of the people that went, for, it, was a, it was an obligation. It was formalism, and it meant nothing to them. They went through the motions. Many people do that their whole life, just go through the motions. We can do the same, formalism. The second indicator of unbelief is legalism. Legalism, well, we all hear that word. What is legalism? Legalism is basing right and wrong purely on externals. It's just observable actions, observable behavior. It's what's on the outside. And legalism is usually based on man-made rules and counting on following those rules to make us right with God. Reducing our faith to just the outside observable actions. And we, in order to do that, we have do lists and don't lists. And if you grew up in the church or in a Christian environment, there were always the do lists and the don't lists. And what we would say is, I, I'm more spiritual than you because I don't do more things than you don't do. Pleasing by God by what we don't do. Now, what would our human, our close human relationships look like if, if it was based on the I don'ts? I don't. The guy who says, I've got a great marriage. I don't beat my wife. I don't fool around. I don't leave dirty clothes on the floor. I don't neglect my personal hygiene. I don't do anything to offend my wife. Therefore, I'm doing great. Is that a great relationship? Probably not. Or what about the do's? I'm going to do this and do that. What about the heart affection? What about affection that we have for our spouse? Jesus had harsh words for legalists. And I know that most of the time when Jesus took people to task, it was for the religious people. And, and I, I, I look at that and I go, oh, that can't be me. But sometimes it is. The legalists. He, he said this in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but 
Inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. Legalism. Legalism. Looking good on the outside, but inside, not so much. Sooner or later, of course, what's on the inside is going to come out. The third indicator of Cain's unbelief, the third indicator was hypocrisy. Number three, hypocrisy. This is the difference between what we look like on the outside and what we really are on the inside, like that tree that looked like this great, big, beautiful fir tree that looked strong and beautiful and inside was just rotten to the core. What are we like? We have a lot of pretending Christians today, a lot of pretending Christians Inside, outside, faith and unbelief. Faith is internalized, it, but it show, and it shows on the outside. Unbelief shows by our preoccupation with just the externals. How do I look? How do I look? Now, many here today are like Abel, like Abel. You have a deep, abiding heart faith, giving of pure worship from your heart. When you sing praise and worship and pray, when you use your gifts to serve God, these are sacrifices that you give to God from your heart. Giving God your very best, just like Abel. Others may be just a little bit more like Cain. Everything is, I have to. I have to. Going through the motions, appearing Christians, taking on our Christian culture, looking the part when inside it's, it's rebellion and bondage and bitterness and jealousy. I have to. I have to. But most likely, most likely all of us have some of Cain and some of Abel. Some days are good. Some days not so good. It's a journey of ups and downs. And most of us are probably fall somewhere in between Cain and Abel. Some days experience great heart and worship Others days feeling cold and indifferent. Well, don't confuse emotions with faith or feelings with actions. Sometimes we exercise the most faith when we don't feel like it. We don't feel like praising God or serving Jesus, but we do so out of obedience or love. It's not, how do I feel? It's not how I feel, but is it from my heart? Is it from my heart? One is faith, one is unbelief. One is reality, the other is hypocrisy. One is internal, the other is purely external. One is inside, the other one's only outside. So what can we do if we discover there's a problem? And if you're not wrestling with that on a daily basis, you're probably not human, okay? Just saying. Let's look at what not to do so we can learn what to do. We have a choice of man, first of all. Then we have, number two, we have the confrontation by God confrontation by God. He says in verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. When God sees a problem in your life and mine, a sin, he confronts it. And that's, that's good news. That's really good news. When it says, be sure your sin will find you out, that's good. It's good. 
God knows that sin is destructive in our life, so he deals with it. So here he gives Cain a warning. God's warnings are always grace. God's warnings are always grace. We don't like it. We don't like it when he warns us. We don't like those confrontations from wherever that comes. But it's always part of God's grace, unmerited favor. And in verse 7, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? See, he says to Cain, he says, there's restoration, there's forgiveness. If you turn to God from your heart. We look on the outside, God looks in the heart, and he knows. And he says to Cain, repent and I will forgive you. I will restore you. This is God's extension of grace. But if you choose not to repent, if you do not do what is right, he says, sin is crouching at your door. It's an interesting word picture. It says sin is crouching at your door. It's a picture of a wild animal waiting to devour us. Sin is crouching, a wild animal coming to devour us. There were two guys backpacking through Glacier National Park, and they disturbed this huge grizzly bear. And as the bear towered up and began to come their way, the one guy tore off his hiking boots and, and put on his running shoes. And his friend, a credulous, turned and said, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. He said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you. Everybody wait, check in. Great friend. Sin is like that animal waiting to devour. But God's way is to have us overcome or to master sin. God shows his love by his grace and his confronting sin by offering forgiveness and restoration. Now, how, how does God confront sin in your life? How do you become aware of things in your life that are sin? Is it a friend? Your spouse? A teacher, a Bible passage, maybe that's the most gentle. Maybe it's a sermon. These are all indicators of the love of God and the grace of God. So we have the choice of man, and we have the confrontation of God, and we all choose how to respond to God's confrontation. And our response to that confrontation will determine our path, our path. So what did Cain do? What did Cain do? Let's look at the consequences of sin. Three sins of Cain. Three sins of Cain we can learn. First of all, letter A, he rejected God's word. He rejected it. God, Cain did not thank God for his warning, did not repent, did not change direction. Cain chose. Cain did what Cain wanted to do with horrible consequences. How many people do you know that rejected God's warnings? Rejected God's words, a Bible passage, a, a sermon or teaching, a friend a parent or a child through their own conscience, and they reaped horrible consequences. America today continues to reject God's words and God's warning. We look at so many, so many issues in front of us today. And whether it's the, the marriage issue, homosexuality or abortion, whatever it is, any of the hot button issues, materialism, there are just so many things that, that stand in front of us and God's word declares to us the truth and we see massive numbers of people just absolutely reject God's truth, God's word. Take the issue of abortion. I remember one recent election in the state of Washington where two Senate candidates 
Both of them supported abortion rights. And of course, the Bible says life begins at conception. The Word of God is very, very clear. And they were, they were pro-abortion, even though the abortion is the ending of human life. Now, one candidate supported abortion on demand at any stage of pregnancy. The other said, I believe abortion should be legal, safe, and rare. Really. What if someone said, most days I get up in the morning, I, I don't commit murder. But, but on that rare day, is murder okay if it's just rare? I, I just murder on occasion. Safe and rare. Safe for whom? Not the baby. Rejecting God's word. And people have rejected God's word, rejected God's word, and rejected God's word. The last three weeks, two or three weeks, one of the, one of the major talking points has been having to do with climate change, climate change hysteria. And let me just say something about yeah, because everybody gets, gets upset about climate change. First of all, we are to be good stewards of our earth, without a doubt. We are to be good stewards and do the best we can to take care of that, treat animals properly, take care of our, our creation, no question about that. And there has been one incredible example in the Bible of climate change, and that was called the flood, and we'll get to that later on in, in Genesis. But what does God's Word say about our future, okay? We get all afraid. After that one incredible climate change event, the flood, God's word tells us this in Genesis 8, 22. And whenever you have climate people throwing stuff at you, just turn to Genesis 8, 22, which says, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease, okay? Never cease. That's the Word of God says that. So you can argue all the things about climate change, but the Bible says this is what's going to happen. And by the way, we know how it ends. Okay, we know how it ends. We know that someday there will be a globalism that takes over the world. There will be an antichrist that's anti-everything and, and perpetrates evil and all that other stuff. We know that will happen at some time, but not ready yet. It's not ready yet. It's not going to happen yet. And God has intervened in several different ways in our world. So rejecting God's word, Cain's second sin was jealousy. Jealousy. Cain was jealous of Abel. Abel was accepted by God. Cain was not, and he was jealous. Are you ever jealous? Don't answer that right out loud, okay? Are you ever jealous? I know I, I, I can tend to be jealous. You're jealous of someone else's material possessions, their house, their money, their lifestyle, or their freedom. Maybe their family or spouse or childhood or background. Their, their abilities or job occupation, their retirement benefits or their training or education, their spiritual position, their reputation, their place of leadership or authority. Sometimes we're jealous of someone else's simplicity of life or their patience or their love. Our culture is a culture of comparison. Comparison. We just observe and we automatically compare and comparison produces jealousy or envy. In James 3.16, it says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Huge verse. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. 
Why do we wait for a period of time to place people in leadership and ministry in this church? We're testing for selfish ambition, agendas. Does this person have an agenda for self or unselfish, an agenda for the good of the church and the good of the, of the body of Christ? See, selfish ambition produces every kind of evil. And as a leader of this church, I take the responsibility very seriously because I've seen firsthand the consequences of jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition in the church. Three sins of Cain, rejecting God's word, jealousy, and number three, murder. Letter C was murder. Now, most people would say, I would never commit murder. I would never commit murder. No, pro probably not. Probably not. But remember, we're talking about the inside. We're talking about inside-outside, the internal state of our heart. Jesus made it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that to hate someone is equivalent to murder in God's sight. Whoa, to hate someone. If you hate someone, it says it's equivalent in God's sight. And, and how many people through jealousy, envy, bitterness, or selfish ambition have turned it into absolutely hatred? Now, we would never let anyone see the hatred, just like we would never murder someone. But we are all capable of hatred with a passion. We ask a question, we look around ourselves and say, what are humans capable of? What are humans capable of? A few years ago, a woman in Texas murdered her daughter's friend because she was competing for the same spot as a cheerleader. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, the first person born on earth murdered his brother. The consequences of sin came quickly. And Cain had to pay the consequences. But here again, right away, we see God's grace. God's grace. We see Roman numeral four. We see the constancy of God. God's grace again. God punished Cain, but he also put a mark on Cain so that no one would kill him. God's purpose and his goal was to bring Cain back into relationship, to produce repentance and restoration. One of the things, the constant theme throughout the, all of the Bible, from Genesis right here all the way through the book of Revelation, is God's constancy. He's a constantly pursuing God pursuing that relationship. When we read about Israel and Judah, God's chosen people, time and again in the Old Testament, they were judged, devoured by enemies, slaughtered, sent into exile. Why did, they, why did they suffer that? Because they rejected God. And God used those circumstances to bring them back into relationship with Him. There's always, there's always this constantly reaching God. And, and many of you can say, you can... You can testify today when you were wandering and you were against God and you were doing this, that God's grace was always reaching out to you, seeking you to bring you back into relationship with him. Repentance and restoration. Why does God do that? Because he loves his creation. He loves you. There's no indication that Cain ever truly repented we don't know that for sure. How would we know? Well, Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's on the inside. It's on the inside. Now, as we finish Genesis 4, we discover a civilization in progress. We see agriculture with Cain and Abel. We see architecture. It says Cain built a city. We see music in, in verse 21, Jubal and his harp and flute. And we see craftsmanship with Tubal and Cain and tools of bronze and iron. And at the end of chapter 4, we actually have a high note. We have a high note. As people wrestled with right and wrong, inside versus outside, heart faith versus unbelief. The last part of verse 26 brings hope. It's an incredible line which says, At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Inside, outside, no matter where you are, we are all invited to call on the name of the Lord. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the unvarnished truth. And we see the good, bad, the ugly. We see all those things. And we see the consistent restoration and forgiveness of a God who cares for his creation. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd be able to take these lessons, the, the inside and outside, all of the things that we deal with. And God, that you would help us understand Help us understand how great your love is. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that we would understand that you will continue to pursue us no matter where we are. And I pray that you'll help us to examine our hearts today as we ask for you to change our lives. Let's stand, shall we?